back to Bad Impressions, the good podcast about bad things in digital marketing. We're here today, as usual, with myself, Ryan Farley, David Shola, and Lee Elliott, along with our guest, Larissa Leachia from AdRoll. And we're very excited to hear a lot of the work she's been doing as we continue this journey along the road of what a cookie-less world of advertising looks like. So Larissa, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, it's nice being here. Um, so I'm Larissa. I'm the chief of staff for Nextroll slash AdRoll, and I oversee product design engineering, have been with Nextroll for many years and in marketing technology for eight plus years. So been on this this roller coaster of marketing technology for quite some time. And right now I'm driving a lot of the efforts alongside our CTO and other stakeholders in the organization on the third-party cookie deprecation. So yeah, that's that's me. We're very excited to have you, and we're also very excited that Randy called it a good podcast. Uh, we, we read some research, and most people, when they boot up a B2B podcast, they're thinking, is this a good one or a bad one? And so you've got to tell them in the first 15 seconds. Some people are out there for the bad ones. But anyway, in some ways, there seem to be kind of, of two sides to this. Generally, people saying it's going to be wildly transformative and there are two sides within that. Some people are like the apocalypse is going to happen, but I'm going to be the mayor of Bartertown. And so I'm super excited about this. Other people are, are lamenting it and, and maybe reading blog posts about career transitions. And then there are people who are, you know, peddling some flavor of not going to be too big a deal. A uh, problem is there seems to be a lot of poor information in all of these camps no matter which jersey these people are wearing, what team they're cheering for, they don't have their box scores and stats right necessarily. So we wanted to start by looking at this from, you know, Larissa noted there's sort of the three critical objects in it, which, you know, there's the Google Flock Federated Learning of Cohort, there's browser-based information that will persist, and then there's the people proposing the third way of a unified identifier that will exist across a lot of organizations with access to data that we'll all use together. Larissa, do you want to kind of give us your, your take on these three things and maybe an initial stab at how successful you think they'll be for most advertisers or, or what behavior changes they'll engender? Like you said, there are these like three areas. And I think like a few things that like people kind of need to understand is like, what are these kind of different areas solving for? Um, so obviously like within Google, the first proposal, which was called Turtle Dove, because everything has bird names. I've never looked at that many birds and learned about what all the birds look like, but now I'm a bird expert, so that's great. But it was a Turtle Dove, which is the privacy sandbox. And the privacy sandbox is basically targeting within the browser. And there exists the concept of interest groups, which are heavily a replacement in terms of web retargeting. And then there's contextual targeting, which we're all aware of what contextual targeting is. And recently, Google also released a new proposal, which is called Fledge, which is a little baby bird. And then I know now and didn't know before. And that basically uh, actually gives more control to SSPs and DSPs. So it's, that was, for example, a pretty encouraging advancement we've actually seen because Google incorporated a bunch of proposals across from companies like Nextroll, Critio, RTB house and so forth. And then obviously there's a lot of buzz right now about Flock, the federated learning of cohorts, like you said, and that is, I would say a wildly misunderstood area. And I do think one thing is that obviously Google sort of stated 
even though it wasn't their intention for press to take it out of proportion from our conversations with Google, but that it will replace like 95% of current use cases. But Flock is actually, again, it's like machine learning driven cohorts provided by the browser based on things like context on the sites and browsing history. But for example, in the current proposal, a company wouldn't actually know what group somebody belongs to. So I don't know whether, whether like the Flock is a people that like pizza or whatever. So it's like very restrictive on information. So it doesn't actually also as of now really resolve the retargeting use case. It's really a lot more contextual, but there are like discussions to also have something like Flock in the context of retargeting and lookalike targeting and so forth, but that's still to be discussed. And then lastly, yes, we have the cookie-less identifiers. There was like an outcry, I don't know, maybe it's like two to three weeks ago when Google was like, hey, we're, we're not looking to use anything like that. But we actually do believe it does create kind of like an opportunity, right, for open RTB players, uh, obviously pre-bid, which is a header bidding solution is playing a pretty big role in this because they're the ones that will basically be the ones like operating a lot of these identifiers. So the Trade Desk 2.0 Unified ID will be operated by Prebit. So they're playing a pretty big role. So we do think, right, it kind of provides an opportunity for the open RTB system and publishers to become this other ecosystem based on cookie-less identifiers. So despite Google not supporting them, publishers and SSPs can still make their own decisions in supporting these cookie-less identifiers. So I'm going to pause because I said a lot of things. There's a lot there and it's super helpful and super interesting. As you noted about the number of or percent of use cases that people assume these are going to apply to in the case of Flux, for instance, it seems wildly variable across all three and pretty heavily misunderstood. You know, like I'm very confident that that first pillar, which governs a lot of things like affinity and contacts is going to be extremely heavily used and extremely applicable because never, never again are the audiences presented to you in a buying platform as part of their tech stack that are quote free going to be something that media people keep their hands off. So that's something that definitely I think everyone's going to engage with. But to your point, you know, Flox may have a lower engagement rate still. And then, of course, there's UID. Kind of a, a question about that, because we mentioned people playing in the header bidding space like the Trade Desk that has come up recently in some off-pod discussions is who will be these players in header bidding and pipe ownership for the purposes of things like a unified ID. And are those the right players? Will there be other players that emerge that are better or worse suited and such? And I'd like to get your take on that. One thing that has been talked about and thought about for a long time that we've seen some concrete moves on, I, I think on the T-Mobile side, is a lot of people have speculated that some of the owners of what someone I talked to about this called the dumb pipes telcos mostly. I, I mean, 10 years ago, there were people saying that honestly, if you mash the telcos together, they could probably do a better job of creating a three to four piece total digital ecosystem than even Facebook, Amazon, and Google. So for at least a decade, people have been talking about, I mean, wouldn't in the old days of Verizon ID, a Sprint ID, and a T-Mobile ID be perhaps more deduplicated and yet pervasive? So do you think players like the trade desks and the SSPs and other people positioning themselves as the default header bidders are going to dominate? Are they the people brands should hope are doing this? 
So this is why I think Prebit's approach is pretty interesting because like what Prebit is really trying to do, right, is be like this open source provider where different identity providers can plug into and Prebit will basically be the distributor of that identifier across the different publishers integrated with Prebit. And this is again why the trade desk decided to use Prebit as the operator. LiveRAM's ATS actually already depends on the identity module as well. So there's obviously opportunity for companies to collaborate with Prebit. It might be obviously like other players that want to play in that realm as well, as well. But I think Prebit is already like pretty well positioned because they've been pretty established with some of the publishers already. And again, they do see a lot of like collaboration because they're not really trying to create like a closed off walled garden approach, right? They're really taking this like open source approach. And I, I did recently see that one indicator right of T-Mobile, they had this whole announcement that they now will auto opt in people into the tracking of their identifiers, which is actually very against privacy to just auto opt in and should be kind of the other way around. I'm by the way, totally in favor of the move to privacy first. So I'm not one of these people that's like doomsday thinking, oh my God, what is happening? There's obviously like some disclaimers to and on, yes, power shifting to Google and how they'll manage that, but with all the antitrust stuff and how they're kind of taking this like working group approach, I do think there's opportunity. The one thing, right, that some people had concerns with, because right now, obviously, most of these like alternate identifiers are definitely email based. So there was a lot of concerns with, well, can Chrome just shut that down? Like Safari already kind of does this, right, where they never give you your primary email. It's always like an alias of your email. But actually to shut down emails completely would be a whole different outcry, right? Because you have a whole ecosystem depending on the collection of emails, and it would be pretty technically challenging for Google to really enforce this, which doesn't mean it won't happen. But this is why other identifiers are coming in, right? You have like Nielsen coming in as well with their identifier and device identifiers. You have panel data coming in now. So I do think they're trying to branch out to other identifiers. I do obviously think yeah, that the mobile companies have much broader reach than panel data from Nielsen or Newstar. So I, I still think obviously the addressability on the web will still be interesting. And I think right now it's like predicted at about 20%. So like the estimations of this is definitely that using these identifiers will be higher in cost and lower in reach, but it's really hard to tell at this point. I don't know whether I like actually answered your question, but I do think Prebit right through the open source approach, they're really trying to create an environment where multiple identifiers can play a role. And obviously LiveRamp is also a player within all that. So obviously LiveRamp has forged partnerships with the Nielsen's and Newstars of this world. And then LiveRamp obviously goes through Prebit's identity module as well. So Prebit is honestly well positioned and at the same time under a lot of pressure to make this thing happen. <laughs> previously in correspondence that this will impact advertisers of varying sizes in very different ways. And I think we definitely want to get to the real impact this will have on small and medium kind of advertisers. But if you are a, a large advertiser, you have a, a big honking media battleship, you've got significant spend on tons of different channels, you are in the business of simply trying to monitor frequency for some of your campaigns. You know, you're doing your Aussie style branding. What do you think the best plan for the next three, six, 12 months is if you're sitting in one of those large advertiser seats who simultaneously has theoretically all the possible concerns, 
but also is working at the kind of scale where cohorts and engagement with other tech and practices that require scale is, is going to be viable. One thing that we're talking to, for example, our larger customers about is for one, right, understanding your asset that you have. Like even in the context of first party cookies that everyone is able to collect and use for things like analytics and I guess shaping what kind of interest groups, for example, you want to go after or what kind of contextual groups, et cetera. That is an asset that's like worth understanding and understanding how you can use it going forward. One thing, obviously, everyone is pretty heavily impacted by is more the shift around attribution and measurement. But obviously, if you do have a large data set, you can still do things like marketing mixed modeling, right? So how can you get the right data into your system, which usually is like, right, kind of like aggregate campaigns data and spend data and so forth. And then you can still like explore, right, marketing mixed modeling. Another aspect that we're looking into in context of like more the first party data is things like chain-based attribution, which is a, a Markov model. But basically this kind of more analyzes, right, the kind of like path on the site, which leads to conversion. And similarly here, you can use this to like inform interest groups and so forth. So I do think larger players are definitely better positioned, right? Because like they have a better data asset, they have more diversified channels and they won't like necessarily lose all marketing. But obviously you're still kind of moving back to like more rudimentary measurement techniques because things like MTA and statistical modeling on very granular conversion path all of that will go away, at least in the context of Google Chrome. There's still a bunch of stuff to explore and like what will be possible with cookie-less identifiers, which is why you see Nielsen and Newstar kind of trying to collaborate, but that's still pretty ill-defined at this point. So I also don't have, honestly, measurement attribution in general is the most ill-defined area right now in this, like where this will move in the future. But I do think like the first step is really understanding your asset, where your dependencies are with third-party cookies what that kind of, what risk is implied through that, how you can like find other opportunities to use your first party asset or other assets. Like if you have locked in identifiers, right? Awesome asset that mostly larger brands have and smaller brands do not have. So how can you pivot some of these strategies already now to more first party based identifiers like email first party cookie or logged in identifiers. And then also you know, kind of finding alternate ways on how you can measure marketing efficacy going forward and what data you need and working with partners to like provide that data. I would just also really engage with whoever you run marketing with on what their strategy is and what their plan is. Another note too is like one thing that actually is like having a big comeback, which I'm a big fan of. I used to build out our incrementality solution at Nextroll. Uh, and it was very fun, but that's like a huge conversation. It's having a comeback even in the Google working groups and how could we potentially move to like incrementality-based measurement and A-B testing. And Criteo actually wrote a proposal on this binoculars, kicked off a conversation. And obviously incrementality reporting also favors larger brands more than smaller brands. I'm a huge Markov chain fan and have been for a long time, but of course you need enough people in your buckets and enough people in your chain. But I think they're tremendously underused and not just because I'm a simple smooth brand man, but if I say Markov chain, People are like, this guy's read a book before. I correct them. I'm like, nope, haven't, have never read one book, can't read, never accuse me of that again. But on the incrementality note, there's kind of incrementality and it's, I'd say it's cousin evidence-based marketing, which is sort of, I guess, bigger, right? I associate them because I associate many of the methods for deriving incrementality with evidence-based marketing. But I think incrementality is incredible, especially because, and I'm, I'm not saying this is easy to do. But it's possible 
to speaking of first party data, take every valuable conversion event you have and try to assign a percent chance that it was truly incremental using all your other information. That's very difficult, but once you do that, you have fully owned vital, valuable first party data. A lot of times that you could transmit to a first party cookie that has incrementality data. So there's a lot of really hard stuff to do, but that should be almost truly unfucked with by all this in theory. Again, if everyone could simply know the percent chance any conversion they drove is incremental, this would all be easy and that's very hard. But again, it can live within kind of its own little realm. I do have a question about incrementality and specifically, and I, I know obviously you can speak to this about the role family of companies probably better than Critio. Is the interest in incrementality on those two companies rooted in at least I know Critio's history and retargeting where the eternal question is, is any of this incremental? And I'll be honest, I've always been fascinated by Critio's take particularly on this because I feel weirdly it's like, it's like having the thieves tell you how to like build your bank vault, which I can appreciate, but just anyone who's super retargeting focused, and I know they're moving more to the e-commerce marketplace and everything, and that's a fascinating and wonderful direction. Um, I, it's very interesting, it, but at the same time, lightly eyebrow raising to an old version of me, you know, five years ago when Critio was with Critio then that the focus on incrementality is coming out of a company very much associated with retargeting. To be fair, Nextworld came from the same perspective, right? Like for us, it was very heavily around, we were still mainly used as a web retargeting product. And I, I just never believe that, which is very controversial because I also built out our attribution product, but I think we really measured the wrong things, right? And actually incrementality kind of came from the motivation of us being very competitive with Critio. And Critio's focus is last click. And I was just always like, last click doesn't make sense. Like at the point I click on an ad and make a purchase, it really wasn't that ad, it was navigational, right? So I was like, did that ad really influence any of my purchasing decisions? So this is actually where, why we started doing incrementality. But I would say that yes, for us as like a marketing technology company and this heavy focus that right, our motivation would be proving our own value. The thing that we leaned really heavily into is making sure the framework was very black and white and we provided ways to make sure people could verify it was black and white. So we gave people like granular data outputs and all of that stuff so they can do their own internal validation and their own replication and stuff like this to make sure that, hey, you can trust us. This is really not about us even like gaining more of your budgets. We're really trying to prove our value. I think like a lot of issues, right, with incrementality, it's still very hard for some reason for people to understand in the context of last click, even though to me, it's always been this black and white thing. Did an ad have an impact or not, right? This is really like the question you should be asking, but because it kind of goes more into statistics and economics and AB testing control groups, statistical significance, people are like, ugh, this is way too hard. And it takes some time, right? To get results that really mean anything. I still think it's like the right way to measure. Again, it's not created equal. There's a thousand ways to do it and probably 800 of them at least are the wrong way to do it. And how do you validate this? Like even if like Google now starts providing you with running incrementality tests, right? Like how are we able to do any validation in this context of not being able to get any granular data anymore? Because granular data is going away, right? So in this context, at least of the privacy sandbox, 
So how do you even validate any of the incrementality results? So that will be getting like significantly harder. But at the same time, for the majority of brands, it's still better than last click attribution. So I think it will be an interesting trajectory. But yes, it again, like in, in the current world, right, where companies like Nextroll or Critio offer incrementality-based testing, there's just a lot of holes to poke on making sure, do we have any way to like validate whatever output you're having and just being really transparent about this. And this is how we've partnered with the customers we ran these tests with. We were very open. We gave them the information they wanted. We poked holes into it. And that was really like our approach that we did see to be successful. But Critio doesn't usually have the same vulnerability, but again, them actually moving to taking like a pretty strong stance that incrementality is where brands should go into is interesting. And I actually am very curious to see how they'll navigate this going forward. I think what's going to be, you know, the most difficult thing or maybe a potential challenge, kind of going back to the point that you were making just now about the validation of a lot of those things. The just trust us approach to whatever, you know, kind of model or outcomes that are being reported, I think you're going to be pushed back on pretty hard by, you know, the agency and client community, because there's a lot of those in that space that all are skeptics. Just in the biggest point in terms of every time I turn around, someone's trying to take my money or, you know, pull something over our eyes. And I think there could be a lot of potential also like semi-nefarious organizations that will, I guess, inflate numbers and those kind of things and kind of hide behind the banner of, of privacy as the, you know, well, we can't tell you this. We can't give you more data. Like there's nothing for you to validate. You're just going to have to trust us. And I think it's going to really put a lot of the, the truthful uh, and, and the noble organizations kind of also in the same grouping, which will be unfortunate because you can't differentiate yourself or you can't validate the numbers and those kind of things. And I think that's going to be a really tough kind of position, you know, for a while. Yeah. And you actually have companies like Measured and Central Control. They try to kind of be this independent player of incrementality. I actually think Measured has kind of seen pretty good success with doing that for some of the larger brands. They're like very, to us, we're really ambiguous about like the approach they're taking. So I'm not really sure, right, on how they're providing validation. And again, it will also, again, change in the context, right, of like once we're in this like privacy sandbox world and open RTB world, I would want to know how like companies like Measured or Central Control would want to approach this, right? When Google will be the main provider of a control group or Facebook will be the main provider of a control group, the players actually plugging into Google and Facebook will have very little influence on impacting performance and optimization, just given like the, that's already not possible with Facebook, right? They kind of like we do the machine learning, you just kind of live with it. So I think the nature of incrementality will change. I'm still hopeful, right, that there's a path to it that is like privacy preserving and you can still have some sort of like validation. But it will be interesting to see how this kind of moves forward. But for me, I wanted incrementality for so many years. So I'm kind of like vindicated by it. I hope, I hope there will be a way. Again, it is better in the end than last click attribution for the majority of market. There's a use case for last click attribution. Some companies are well off with just using that. But a lot of companies now with also the marketing mix, right, becoming more complex, no matter like the size of your business, even smaller businesses don't only run search anymore. They now are kind of spanning into like new channels that obviously the need is more widely distributed than it has been even five years ago, where diversification of your marketing channels is kind of key, which is again, kind of will be interesting to see how this will play out for smaller businesses with this trajectory, but it will just be pushed into using search more, right? Which obviously would benefit Google a lot.
to get that these budgets back into the Google search channel. I'm also excited by this sort of forcing everyone to look at incrementality in a more nuanced and smart way, because one narrative I'm super tired of that has come back a lot is the absolutely gigantic, dumb, boulder hit the pond splash narrative of incrementality. If I have to read one more person posting the five-year-old story on LinkedIn about like PNG's marketing cuts or the Uber affiliate thing, which first off, that to me is like if you, you came into someone's room and there were like nine dead bodies and they were like, I've stopped murdering is what it's like. Mark Pritchard, you're supposed to be a genius. The narrative to me is that it took you 10 years to figure out how to stop wasting money. The Uber affiliate thing, don't even get me started on. I lived through affiliate 1.0 and whoever set that program off, that was just an amateur move. And so the commanding narrative about look at incrementality to some people is unfortunately still this like Airbnb, 91% of bookings aren't attributed to marketing in any way. All that has lived in the last three years are these just gigantic, like, this company was advertising, then they stopped. There are parts of that story that are real, but to, like, give an example, and I think David was at, at Moxie at this time, we advised Verizon to cut their acquisition budget by 35% for six months. They then had to because they lost the budget, and nothing happened, and that was a big applause moment for us. But a key difference was we also, when they told us to cut 35%, like made very specific cuts. And if they said we need to cut another 30%, there would have been impact and we would have said when and where. So I'm excited for more people to get into this because I'm I'm kind of just tired of, of reading the same, like, what should you spend on advertising? $100 million or $0? Like, God forbid the real answer is the middle. You know, one of the things we always like talked about uh, often, and that was kind of proven, was how many times are, are we just showing ads in front of people that whatever platform already knows that someone's going to be purchasing a new phone? Yeah, Critio's last click wasn't even the highest crime. The amount of view through retargeting attribution that was still happening back then was wild. Or the amount of impressions that were bombed kind of at the very end, uh, just before the last click. Pummeling people with impressions just to kind of get the, the last click, just because they know at any moment now that they could be converting. Not to Larissa's point, that was really just a, a navigational point for them to, to get them onto to the website quicker. But there, we knew they were going to go there. I want to applaud you making that statement just because uh, I've never heard it being presented that way as, you know, an ad, or especially a last click ad is really just a, a navigational like portal uh, instead of some persuasion that like absolutely like takes place. And, you know, navigation is great, like make it easy. But, you know, again, I, I don't know. I think... Web retargeting, right, was under fire for good reasons for a lot of years. I think web retargeting has value and it has like a purpose in the industry, but I think sometimes how it's positioned can be a little misleading. But, you know, I, I actually, when I started doing incrementality testing before we had an incrementality framework, I really just told people to shut up ad roll and let's see what happens. You know, maybe like people on our revenue side were like, what is she doing? But, you know, I felt like that was like a way to see whether, you know, we do anything or not. Cause that was really like the thing I wanted to find out as well. Cause I worked on the German team and Germans generally doubt everything. Uh, obviously I'm German, so I doubt everything. And we just always like ask this question. We want to have like a black and white way of like measuring it. Right. But 
I don't know. I, I do believe in incrementality, but I agree the narrative around it has to change and how it's measured has to change. And all of these things just have to change. And I do think at the same time, right, what I like about incrementality and moving away from ideally last click measurement, even though, again, for now, a lot of the things are kind of pushing us back into last click measurement, but it also enforces accountability of the vendors doing the ads, right? Because like, that was kind of like a big thing for us as a company, like we should prove that we are actually providing any value at all to our customers. We should be accountable for that, especially if that's something they do want to know. And, you know, with that accountability comes things like where we show ads, when we show ads, what the ads contain, instead of doing like impression stuffing or trying to get like this click, right? Like, which is kind of the method of last click attribution. It's just like as close as possible conversion, just show them a lot of ads and get that click. And is that really like the company or sentiment we want to be? But at the same time, it played very nicely into the narrative of last click attribution that like a lot of people were expecting. But again, I do think it's misaligned right on what you're trying to accomplish as a business, unless you really want to have a navigational tool, which you can then use as click attribution. So I don't know. I'm very curious to see, obviously, like how this all pans out. I kind of would like it to go more in the, on the path of like accountability of the vendors running the ads through something like incrementality and not go into, oh, we're all like locked into last click aggregate attribution and that's like all we're able to do and those are the outcomes we want to drive because then we're really just getting pushed into becoming last click engines which i don't think deliver value to businesses no certainly not and it's amazing and i i think unfortunately this will be one of the least disrupted spaces by all this i've spent a long time hearing a thousand different perspectives on brand search keywords which at best if they you want to deliver real value with them can be a good navigational aid, but only if you've identified that there's a lack of that navigation organically. In the year 2021, the people who are doing the best thing with branded search are all the people I know who actually haven't done search much. Uh, this is one freelancer's perspective, but the longer you've been doing search, the more actually insane you are about brand search. You're nutty, take a rehab week, etc. And all the clients that I'm looking at that have the best take on it are people who come from other elements of digital and are like, well, this is fundamentally absurd. I have my organic traffic. It's, it's good. I, I have solid organic site links. If I ever start buying every single brand search dollar I can, check my house for a gas leak. And so it's funny, like there's sometimes this understanding that navigation is valuable and that's the last refuge of brand search is, is things like that for short run promos. But I thought of it because that's another classic one. You can turn it off. You really can and you can live. And we actually did that for Snapchat at VM. And you can see what percent of it's incremental, but it's, it's daunting. Mm -hmm. a little bit about smaller businesses and uh, Larissa, you have some really good and interesting concerns around how this might impact what smaller businesses can do. Yeah. So obviously next role on the ad role side of the house, our big focus are small businesses. So it is on top of mind for us because they are a big, big portion of our customers. And generally, I just care about small businesses because I want them to succeed. But, you know, a few things, right, that are being introduced in like privacy preservation, for example, in the privacy sandbox, it's like these minimum thresholds on audiences, 
Right now, they haven't yet decided on what that minimum threshold will be. But for example, Facebook already has this, right? Where I think like the minimum audience size is like a thousand users within like a segment. Google's like taking a similar approach, even though again, right now, arbitrarily said, they don't know what the threshold will be. But even for some of the small businesses, we already run into the issues with Facebook right now around like these minimum thresholds. So this is, for example, something, right, depending on the size of your business, how will you be able to still target audiences in a relevant way, right? Because if you're like very small and the only segments you can target is like all visitors on your site, maybe, you know, the kind of product catalog on your e-commerce shop or whatever, your precision on targeting will go down. This is kind of why I think they're trying to introduce like this concept around flock on like you still get like these machine learning driven cohorts. But then again, there's no context given to you on what the cohort is. So how do you really know that it's relevant to you as a business, right? You can obviously say potentially like what cohorts, right, you're interested in, but you really will not know which cohorts you're ultimately targeting. So I think one thing right on the small business side is how will their targeting capabilities be impacted in terms of precision and like personalization, all of that fun stuff, even though even I know there's a lot of controversy on how important personalization is. But, you know, one thing, right, a lot of small businesses do not have is brand equity. But if you're like a really large company, you have brand equity. Or like if you're kind of one of these like emerging cool brands like Warby Parker, like Avocado Mattress, you already have brand equity, right? Which is why also like a lot of these companies now tap into podcast advertising or streaming or programmatic TV, which is like all great channels. I actually think they're pretty effective. Well, programmatic TV still has to get a lot better on like personalization. But I buy things from podcast ads all the time. But a lot of the brands, right, that do this already have brand equity. So I think for brands too, though, for small brands, building brand equity is a very different story. Like going back to like the branded search stuff, they probably have some dependency on it because they don't have money to throw around at, I don't know, programmatic TV or even like prospecting, right? Like their budgets are often like a lot tighter and they're often more locked into performance marketing because of that. And because also branding is significantly harder to measure, especially if you're a small brand. So like their options just seem to be a little more restrictive, right? And what their capabilities will be. And it's kind of unsure to what extent they'll be able to do targeting in this like new world. Also in the context of like cookie less identifiers, if they're email based, right? Like how many emails does a small business really have? And the additional layer, even if you're able to do the targeting, in the current proposals, right, it's kind of moving you to last click attribution only. How many last click conversions does a small business have a month? Like out of like everything, right? Maybe two. And then you have like restrictions on when a conversion can be reported to you. And right now there's like two approaches. One is like adding noise. So, you know, you kind of get two real conversions, five fake ones, and we won't know which one's real to kind of avoid that you can like identify a single conversion, a single user that for very small businesses can like result in crazy data, negative conversions, stuff like that. They would also go down the road of like aggregation that has its own implications because certain small businesses may never hit a threshold that whatever Google is like deciding on. So. I think like also around reporting you in the same boat, like when you will get even reports on your clicks or impressions might be heavily delayed. You will probably not get it on like the granularity you get it now, like on the ad level, for example, that will be really challenging for small businesses because they will not meet this minimum threshold. So I think like for small businesses, even with the targeting capabilities, the thing that's like kind of concerning is like, how can they 
measure the value though of these channels and will they ultimately just be pushed back into things like search and social and email right so a lot of these like display channels that are significantly harder to measure they just can't do it anymore because they can't justify it so those are, i think the things that we're worried about and like thinking about on how can we help our customers to kind of like future proof and we're pushing you know obviously being part of like the google working groups this is a topic we do bring up and we do want to push because i think a lot of like the proposals now also around measurement do not address small business as well and i think this brings up another like important point a lot of like the google proposals right now come from the google chrome team but you also have the google ads team and the Google Ads team, right, obviously has an interest in small businesses because Google Ads has a lot of small businesses. So they are actually doing their own proposals because they also care about can we still report in a relevant way? Can we target in a relevant way? But, you know, they're kind of like operating in a similar setting that we are, like Nextrel is. Like we're like, hey, Google Chrome team, you should, you know, think about this. Like we're running tests right now with the Google Ads team to validate some of like the concepts in the turtle dove api to then ultimately make better proposals to the google chrome team so you know google to some extent also has a stake in it at the same time obviously if just if people get pushed into using search more google is also happy but in some of the measurement attribution reporting stuff google ads is similarly affected the only obvious difference that they have is like you know google chrome logins and stuff like this it's a great point you make about how this may just push a lot of small businesses to what for a long time were the core SMB platforms, Google ads, Facebook. There's another element too. And it's interesting because I think I, I now understand more than I did 30 minutes ago that uh, maybe ad rolls part of this. Getting back to working with more small and medium businesses, but including ones that have things like venture funding or a ridiculous trajectory. I'm thinking a lot about what I call the people's pile. People talk about ad tech stacks, but there's more of a pile, as in loosely fit together, that are the only advertising platforms that a vast amount of businesses can use. And I think this is underestimated by a lot of people who work in advertising. I think what I've discovered is it's most underestimated by people who work in independent ad tech. There are so many businesses that if I told you they can't get on the trade desk, you'd be shocked because you'd be like, I've heard of that. That's supposed to be cool. I think they did a Bedford Avenue subway stop thing. And it's like, yeah, no, you know, they, they got a meeting and they refused to commit anything and their org structure was weird. I'm not trying to pick on the trade desk, but Everyone's becoming reacquainted with the fact that these large, heavy SMB accessing, which they can through resources, it takes an incredible amount of resources to build something that can have 10 million customers. It's ridiculous. But, you know, in, in counseling people who are thinking about the fact that local TV can be incredibly impactful for a local business, it's very difficult even for some local businesses that have been buying TV for a long time in the traditional way to navigate the new realm of more of that impression being connected TV. And I mean, this is something that I think kind of properly scares some people in independent ad tech buying in some realms. It's like, I can open a Google ads account and in an hour be on my parents' TV. Again, I am sympathetic to the difficulty and the resources it takes to marshal that, but the there's sort of two things here, I think. It could 
cause an incredible re-centralization on some of those platforms. And, and part of that is all that we've discussed here. But I, I think there's a big access thing too. Yeah. There, it really is harder to access these tools. Well, I was just going to say on the small business piece, because I think I've brought this up in another episode of how when Facebook started doing those advertisements about like being against Apple's changes in iOS 14 about how they were, you know, saving small businesses and, you know, it was fa- or, you know small business. They, they were taking that side. And I just found that so kind of phony. But to that point, you know, it is just as easy. I could go open a Google ads account right now. I could go open a Facebook business manager. So I wonder how much of the small business marketing spend goes back to a more traditional media mix where you're buying local TV, you're buying, you know, local placements, like, I mean, not necessarily like a bus bench, but just different things that reach the community in a different way. If you really are reaching that small place and you don't need the the Google ads, the Facebook, the digital impact, like you're reaching people in the real world, if you will. That's something I've been thinking about where it no longer becomes a push for digital. It's almost a regression for some small, especially like localized businesses. Yeah, I agree on the local side for sure. On on AdRoll, right, we kind of focus on like SMB, e-commerce, D2C businesses, because obviously a lot of small businesses have started their e-com stores with COVID. That was a huge spike and they do still depend on digital, right? And accessibility is definitely like an issue. Like even channels like Pinterest, not super accessible for smaller businesses, right? Obviously, as Trade Desk and Acridia were always more focused up market, it's very hard to move down market because then you need to have self-service tooling. You need to have like several like intelligence around it. Ideally, right? Do you have like now companies like MailChimp, Klaviyo, AdRoll? We're all kind of tapping more into, well, how can we make this easier, right? And like this kind of orchestration automation layer. Because we obviously have an advantage of like data asset and data partnerships. Like, for example, we get a lot of data through our publishers, for example, that's like first party. We're already integrated with LiveRAM, Prebit, all of these players. So how can we like, first of all, activate that data asset, right, to strengthen these like small businesses? And then how can we help them to access some of these channels in like an easy way? Like whether it's even like SMS, right, which has like kind of been popping up. Like how can we like start helping them? reach audiences more broadly across these other channels right outside of like web retargeting and that's kind of been a focus for us and like kind of being this orchestration automation layer to kind of like democratize this access and really strengthening their platform and future proofing them for this like deprecation of third-party cookies so that's kind of been our company focus i hadn't even thought about the difficulties that some small businesses would have getting into sms in a fully legal and compliant since beyond we have people write down their phone numbers and my nephew texts them every monday but that's an incredible example of one of the channels that can be so vital for local marketing and so vital for offline stores that's really difficult to get into right now it's funny i may have to swap out my example my main example was was connected tv because of you know the vanishing amount of local tv and you know you now have companies that are like 30 branch banks that are like, we've been buying local TV for 30 years. And now they're like going to market and they're like, oh, I think we have to buy connected TV now. And whether they're calling up a platform or calling up an agency, they're like, 
yeah, we have like $600,000 for this. And like, we are very particular and they're all like, hello. And it's like dial tone. <laughs> so like, I was thinking of connected TV for that because that's like a real thing happening where they're like, I don't get it. We've been a stalwart local TV presence for 30 years. Now we, the gatekeepers of this won't take our money. But I didn't even think of SMS, which is probably like if you own like five ice cream parlors or something like that should be vital. And yet it's difficult beyond your first party. And even to be first party, like, like, what are you going to do? Start Shopify for your ice cream shops and like get a Shopify app. That's horrifying. It's not worth it. But yeah, no, Larissa, that's great. I made the swap my example. I've been talking about the plight of the, the poor local advertiser who simply wants to be on local TV cannot anymore because you know whether it's a dsp or some agency that has a six letter name that isn't even a word you know is hanging up on them yeah that's that's tough and you know the degradation of digital metrics will not be great for those people but i I, i'm glad to hear that some people are working on the old people's pile because like i'm gonna be honest nobody deserves trying to make gdn work for someone like that trying to do that personally right now in a few cases it's not easy or good it's not worth anyone's time yeah that's just such a good point as you were all thinking about that i was also thinking about car dealerships in particular you know in terms of just the high priced goods that they sell they're not trying to turn around a three dollar ice cream cone you know there's there's a range of those kind of things and yeah they've, they've bought a lot of um you know local tv you know and i was just thinking about you know What's that going to be for them? And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it has to be rolled up to these dealer networks and, and those kind of things like the the level above the dealer themselves. And, you know, I, I think that there's there's a world where those hastily and cheaply made commercials are no longer going to grace our airwaves and they're going to be a bygone um, of the past, potentially for, for a lot of these things, you know. And I think that's just going to be kind of an interesting thing to kind of wrap your mind around. Or even like if you're in one of those spaces, just kind of like how, how those like, you know, shifting sands are, are really going to kind of affect your business if, if that's like kind of like where, where you are. Or if you are kind of an SMB consultant kind of thing and kind of does a little, a lot of marketing for, for these types of clients, like your whole business potentially is going to be pulled out from, from under you, you know, kind of like the, you know, we'll wonder if the candelabra is still standing in the middle of the table uh, when the tablecloth is pulled, elucidating, I guess I would say in terms of just like being a witness to this conversation. Everyone knows SMB is a huge opportunity. Like it's been a huge market for so many companies, right? Because they all have the desire to grow, they have the desire to diversify, all of these things, right, are fact. So I actually do think there's, right, opportunity for even, like, providers around connected TV to change their approach. Because if I see one more Ford ad, I might lose my mind. No offense to Ford, but I'm not interested in your ads. But I keep saying Ford ads on Hulu. So I think there is huge opportunity, right, for the ecosystem to shift and readdress SMB in a far better and more meaningful way. I'd really not wanted to... I really don't want to see them being pushed back into like search, right? And that's like the main thing that they're, they're trying to figure out and kind of meddling with their Google analytics to get any kind of like insight. I really don't want to go back to these days. That's kind of how it's been when I started in marketing technology. And I was actually on the Google AdWords team. And I remember those days vividly because I was an SMB support. And it is just like frustrating, right? And these brands want to have more access. So I do think there's huge opportunity, right? For companies to like change that 
But at the same time, moving down market is, again, pretty challenging because you have different requirements these businesses need because you can't give them like high touch support like the big brands are getting. And this is what companies really struggle with if they started at the top and trying to move down. It's really challenging. We started from SMB and worked our way to enterprise. And I think that kind of changes our position. But again, I do think there's like huge opportunity for SMB businesses, not just for the companies that provide them services, but also for SMB businesses to kind of like shift how they operate in that ecosystem. And I think generally it's a good thing. But obviously, I also think the ecosystem needs to consider SMB and consider like the implications that are happening through the changes. And I don't think a lot of businesses are there yet, including Google and a lot of the other like people that write proposals um, right now for the Google like working group they often come from an enterprise stance, right? Even if we're talking like Nielsen, Newstar, they've done enterprise measurements, right? And even like Facebook, Critio, the trade desk, right? They don't really care. Facebook still has a stake in small businesses, but like different levers. So I do think this needs to be like additional consideration. But I also think, again, the players around SMS, connected TV, right? Like re-envision like who you're going after, because there is a lot of opportunity and companies want to diversify and spend elsewhere. And they don't want to just be locked into search. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is they're gonna, there's going to be two different games. You're going to have your enterprise level game and then the SMB level. And it's just going to be like this kind of duality that kind of is going to be hovering over the industry for a while. You know, you're talking about like the appropriate, like a number of clicks, you know, for, for aggregate reporting and, and all of those kind of things. And that takes a lot of money and scale and size of your audience. And all of those things have to be so much bigger. And to lease five, uh, you know, ice cream parlors, uh, they're never going to reach that ever. So they have to think about their marketing completely different. Absolutely, completely different. It's interesting to you how much I think uh, positive exterior input and innovation surprisingly can come out of the SMB space for some of these players. You know, I, I have, as I tell potential very large clients and potential very small clients, you know, I, I tell the potential very small clients like, oh, there's things that you haven't even run into yet, but you could apply the thinking of a to them. Like, and then I talk to prospective large clients and I'm like, you are so, oh God, no, you could do everything you talked about. You could do today, but they can't, you know, they, they simply can't and they simply won't great advertising for my business here Get in the first three emails. But anyway, there's actually like, and I am not, I'm not trying to run for Congress on this one with SMB love. Larissa's already done a much better job. You know, despite being originally German national, I think you've displayed SMB creds that uh, could have you just in a landslide victory. There really are some small to medium business advertisers. And here's the real kicker. Here's my real throwing sand in the face of professional marketers at large enterprises who don't even focus on marketing, who have some really great ideas. There are people who have three hours a week to log into their Facebook AdWords and maybe one other platform and have really solid and strong ideas and fresh approaches. And honestly, if I were one of these platforms and I had a large enterprise team, maybe like two weeks a year, they do the SMB, you know, like a a little bit of like hot stove moment of like, you know, we have a tier three car dealership in California 
that legitimately might have the most insane but real problem. So I think there's kind of a lot of interesting bacteria to throw in the ecosystem from servicing SMB advertisers. And I think especially a lot of, of large enterprise dealing with people, you know, kind of sometimes reduce it to like, you know, they love to bring up the petty and silly concerns. And like, I had a client who was looking at Google organic search results and, and thought that was AdWords. Like, but no, there's, there's a lot of like, great fresh stuff and not all of it is you know millennial pink branded stuff that has newer subway advertising those are the small businesses things that are like blippy like blip.pi people like oh those are the cool smb there are some smbs positioned for growth in other areas that are very interesting and have interesting problems and they're they're gonna have problems too with this new digital ecosystem you know, whether it's some of them having a lead contact form on their website that actually was a good digital indicator that is more difficult to deal with now. Or if it's that, they used to just queue up some affinity groups and they were like, I know when it's working. I know when I double it, we see more foot traffic. And the affinity groups are gone now in some cases. So I think it's an interesting realm to pay attention to. So I always was very biased towards SMB. I feel like people can already notice this, even though I work with companies of like all sizes, but I always found that like SMB always challenged me the most. And you know, you kind of have this conception of like ah, SMB, they don't know what's going on, like whatever, but they actually challenge things a lot more. Also because, right, they have a far higher stake on where they put their money, right? Because like they don't have endless money to just throw at things. So they're like in a very different position of, wanting to innovate to use their money in, a, in the best way possible to grow their business grow their community community is like huge for like local businesses and i was actually very excited when i got back to brooklyn all my local businesses still exist you know i was like yes all my small local businesses exist because obviously they were on the huge threat with like COVID, but they've built this like really meaningful community in the neighborhood that has huge loyalty to them right and that's really really important right it's less even about oh, everyone sees like Warby Parker on like billboards. Oh, they've made it. It's like, can you build a community around you? And they actually do have really creative ideas on how to go about it. And like, I do think the ad role can play a role in that in some capacity. We just have to kind of think outside of the box. And I do agree that SMB really has unique, unique perspectives. We have like a whole initiative now to just like hear out our customers on the SMB side and see you know, what are their problems, what are they challenged with? And not with like, oh, and this is how Admiral can solve it. Here's my feature list, which do you think is the most important? I actually hate user interviews like that. So obviously I have a product background. We really want to understand what their problems are, what they've tried, where they failed. And that's honestly been really interesting. So I'm very biased towards hearing out SMB because they have a very unique perspective, a very different stake than large enterprise companies that have a lot of money at hand to just kind of throw around. And not that you can't learn from enterprise companies, but I think SMB is like a very different story. I'm obviously like a very big fan. And Nextworld does not make me say this. I've always been biased for SMB business because I want them to succeed. <laughs> She's running in South Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I agree. And it's funny, the things that I think you can learn from enterprise are kind of the last step. It's like you've got 99% of the theory and it's just like, now I just need to be able to spend $2 million on technology that isn't working media and show it to 500 million people. I'll be honest. That's the only thing I think you can learn from enterprise marketing best. That's it. That's it. Everything else they do is just too many cooks in the kitchen. 
you know, too many emails to a resolution. And, and made a lot of key points and so it feels almost unfair to hit you with our uh, conventional question but we must uh, we, we always have to ask for more gripes uh, it's the, the currency of our economy is gripes here in this era all our tokens are fungible we don't do none so here it is besides what you've discussed on this episode already what is a major facet of modern digital online persuasion that you wish would go away or you think could be a lot better preferably somewhat unrelated to all this although that's so difficult because all anyone is talking about right now is this with the cookies but if there's there's anything outside the cookie mill well i kind of already mentioned what my war is and it is with connected tv because y'all show me irrelevant things and it's driving me bonkers. Again, I don't know how many Ford ads I'm seeing. I was able to sing the Ford song at some point and I was singing it. I know I could pay for Hulu ad, like the ads go away, but I actually, for some reason, like when the ad is relevant and I have bought Grove, for example. I'm now a Grove customer because I was like, oh, sustainable cleaning products. I'm into it. And then it's followed by a Ford ad and I'm like, or Geico. And I love Geico ads, right? I like watching them, but I don't drive. I'm in New York. Like, I don't have a car. I don't have a house. I don't need insurance. How irrelevant often like streaming services ads are drives me bonkers. And I think there's huge opportunity there, but I think partially it is ties back to kind of what you said. They're kind of gating it to these like very large brands, right? Like the Geicos of this world and whatever, which, you know, great ads use it because it's completely irrelevant to me as like a person so i feel like 90 percent of the ads that i'm seeing on these platforms are completely ir irrelevant to me but when they're relevant probably maybe potentially gonna buy um and i think this has been like very unique again on podcasts and i'm going back to this point of like building community i think that podcasts do they build community right because like you have your listener group they trust you they have like faith in whatever recommendation you're making. It comes from like a sincere place. And this is why podcast ads to me work because whoever the advertising for a brand, I know they actually bought into this. And I think that's also why certain brands like Warby Parker, et cetera, actually became these emerging brands because where they started was actually building community. And I think this is really a lot of the things on like the ecosystem and what we care about now is like, we have to have some sort of buy-in and what we're seeing. And just kind of this like blind advertising doesn't work anymore. And I think that's what programmatic TV is doing. And I really want it to change because again, future opportunity, is just highly irrelevant. And I think it's because they're gating the wrong platforms from their platform. Yeah, CTV marketplaces, it's at a price point that only the, the biggest advertisers can, can really swing in terms of cost justification. And then on top of that, it's still lacking in the world of targeting and the ability to, to make smart decisions. And so when you're looking at a CPM of $20 plus, yeah, you're going to get a lot of Ford ads. You're going to get a lot of Geico ads because they have the budget to swing that. That's another thing that needs to really be evaluated. It's like, okay, if we bring the price point down, and can apply some some smart targeting to it, then we're going to be able to, you know, have some some better ads and some smaller businesses or even some smaller large businesses be able to apply some smart ads. 
uh, and, you know, be the groves of the world and convince you, put their product in front of you when it's something that you would feel very relevant uh, and pulled towards. I can't even express how much I love this particular answer. And I also love because we're naming names. My new thing is you got to name names. My hero is the guy who bought his agency out of IPG because of DEI issues and named the CEO. The C- he was like, they don't care. They don't care about DEI. Absolute hero. Because the only way anything gets better is when we stop this nebulous cloud of wrongdoers who are somewhere and we don't know who they are. And this is a much lesser wrongdoing than DEI issues. So let me let me be clear. I'm not comparing these. But Hulu's ad frequency has been awful forever. It's so bad. All buyers talk about this. All consumers talk about this. We have ad formats like ad selecto. And it's like, which of the two BMW ads you've seen a hundred times you want to see again? Awful. Garbage. You're also wasting the most luxe fucking inventory in the digital ecosystem. If you're a brand or a buyer and you don't want to pay Hulu $32 to show your ads 57 times of the same person, email us. It's what they've been doing forever. It's what they'll probably keep doing forever. Torture Hulu iOS. You have the podcast info. We can get you better frequency capping. Larissa can too. We all can. It's bad. It's generally bad. You're right. A lot of the ecosystem is bad. But Hulu are the number one criminal with a little green bandit mask. And everyone knows it. People outside the industry say they bought Hulu because they were like, I'm not going to buy a Nissan Sentra. It seems like a sensible car, but I feel like I'm dating the models and the ads because of how much I see them. It's a huge waste. And I agree with David's point. Here's where I'll rip on another group. It's gated to the least informed and the least caring people at every agency. The number of times that you're running a perfectly sensible video program in a biddable atmosphere where you're paying way less and doing better and someone brings you an IO for connected TV with like $34 CPMs and you're like, what's the frequency cap? And they're like, oh, well you just tell them and it's like between four and 40. And you're like, we're we're gonna pay like $34 CPMs for like a vague frequency cap and the most expensive inventory on earth. Okay, here's who I'll praise, their agency sales teams. Everyone thinks you're just supposed to buy Hulu when you do CTV. But anyway, product is trash. Frequency has been too high forever. Thank you to, to Larissa for bringing up what has been by far my favorite rip of all these questions. Because again, it's this inventory that is extremely effective. I feel a little validated because a certain legendary social media rack hunter had a theory that a mobile phone is much closer to your face. So it's basically the same size. And I was like, that's crazy. No, it's not. Research is coming out. I also have to apologize to Chase. I made fun of them for worshiping TV, but big screen is good. The research says it. And it's being wasted by people who are not technologists, not smart advertising technologists, and they're co-conspirators at agencies. So stop doing CTV so badly, everyone, except SMBs. SMBs would be doing it right. They would get that $34 no-frequency cap IO and be like, I'm not a marketing genius, but shouldn't I not show people my ad 50 times and some of them zero times? What a racket. But also an opportunity. So there you go. People just have to change their ways. Another, I think, interesting one, and I won't actually like complain about them, but it's another good example. You know how you now have the like cashback offers in your bank apps and stuff? So if you have Bank of America, you have these like cashback offers, which I actually think have huge potential, right? It's like rich data very like tangible, you just apply it, you get money off. 
only big brands. Like when I look into it, it's like Starbucks, Marriott. I'm like, I don't go to Starbucks. I'm a millennial. I go to my local coffee shop. You know, I don't go to Marriott. Like I go to Airbnb. Even opportunities like this, I think that there's a huge opportunity for businesses like this to do local businesses with cashback. I mean, you just show it to like your ice cream store, like Bank of America, step it up. Cause I'd use that if I could use it, apply it to like places around me. So again, there's huge opportunity. And I think people will be more aware of this, hopefully, and change the ecosystem. And yes, Hulu, please leave me alone with Ford. I can't. I'll never buy Ford now. It's the opposite. Never. Get their ass. I'm against Ford. <laughs> I know those offers. And yeah, like I'm such a fancy little artisan princeling. I'm insulting myself right now. I'm not bragging. And it's like Cheesecake Factory, 20% off. And I'm like, if a mobile phone detects me in a Cheesecake Factory, I've been killed and I'm being stored in the fridge, the walk-in. Like, that's it. I know those exact offers. And that's such a good point. That's all they have. It's like, you know, Red Lobster, Lobster Fest, and Walmart curbside pickup of a gray food cube. You know, it resets me to the times when I lived in Iowa and that was my life. It was just Red Lobster was fancy. We hung out at Walmart all the time. That used to be my life at some point. But now I live in Brooklyn, New York. It's a different story. But one side note, Bank of America doesn't run their own offers. They use a company which is called Cartlytics, which is actually a very interesting company. So we're working with them for Golf Digest. We're going to try to get the Golf Digest subscription offering in there and that's what i was like oh i've heard of this because we've literally been having this conversation recently which i think i mean that's not local obviously because it's digital but i have a bank of america card so i look at it occasionally and same thing i'm like i don't need what these are the weird and they always are like don't forget to check your offers and i'm like for what like none of these are relevant but the golf digest thing i thought was interesting and the way you know with the credit card data they can try to find something you actually might want like not afford yeah they have such powerful data so much like opportunity but again yeah. they started up market and moving down market is really really hard but there's so much opportunity one of my best friends works at cardlytics so i keep telling her oh interesting how about smb have you thought about it <laughs> um yeah. so anyway but again i do think again if this was a thing i'd use it a lot because why not yeah you know if i can totally. get 20% off at my local coffee shop yeah i totally do that that's why like the rewards cards work like the little thingies like the oh yeah punch cards you get from your local coffee shop right these things work another very interesting approach you could think about in more the marketing ecosystem yeah but anyway yeah i'm not really sure how the the pricing model of those kind of like offers work and, and who pays who how much but i would worry that something like this for for the smb world like they just don't have the margins to support you know if it's a 20 percent off offer from bank of america or whatever pre or what's the premium on top of that that this smb or this you know network provider is also paying bank of america to give because bank of america is not going to be not making money on the deal so you're not going to be just getting free money so it's either you know 10 percent back and bank of america is also charging an additional 10% premium to to the SMB and those kind of things. And that in, in a world right now, that's really tough on the on the margins for SMBs. That's going to be like the tough thing is this, this offer-based marketing and, and people taking cuts kind of along the way. That's just going to really start to eat into some things. You mean you're not impressed with the near me tab that has a hundred Paneras near me? 
Oh my god. We have the visual. <laughs> oh is, my god. This is crazy. But you know, one thing I'd say, Cardlytics can pay the margin, right? You can move this to like a SaaS-based pricing where Cardlytics has like some kind of partnership with Bank of America. I don't like even the concept of margins anymore. Because like it is really that beneficial for SMB because margins get hiked, right? Because otherwise the company doesn't make money off of SMB. So move away from margins, like move towards SaaS-based pricing and work with like the vendors you're working with to figure out what the right revenue model is. I do think the margin mm -hmm. approach is very outdated and it has to go away. But obviously it's what people are used to. Yeah, and I was definitely, you know, just shooting from the hip. I, I have no idea on the on the you know pricing model for that. But if it is margin based, you know, that's tough, and that's a tough squeeze. One hundred percent. I mean, I also can't give you any input on that. But again, for SMB, you have to come up with different solutions, and that's the thing that's hard, and where like a lot of companies are struggling. SMS again. I'm going back to SMS. If my local business gives me like a percentage off through SMS, I'm like all about it. Activate offer. They get data, they get me to go back to the store. Usually SMS companies are fast-based. So lots of opportunity. This has been fantastic, especially the ripping on specific things that inconvenience consumers, which is the most important thing. You know, we're, we're getting back to it. You got to be pro-privacy. You got to be pro-consumer experience. It's got to be concrete. There, there are a lot of people I see out there who are like, don't get me wrong. I am like the biggest lover of consumer experience and privacy. And then they're like, but what if we put a camera in your toilet and it made the ads more personalized? It's been another episode of Bad Impressions. It's been a fantastic one. Uh, we have a website. You can email us. You can also contact any of us uh, personally and directly. You can't leave comments on the episodes, but you can comment on the whole podcast on iTunes. So if you think this podcast should be destroyed or opposed or whatever, um, please give us a five-star negative review. I've determined that's optimal. We want the five quantitative stars, but negative reviews are the most provocative. I'm actually stealing this from my favorite YouTube streamer, but people respond to negative reviews. So please give us the five stars so that the still too dumb machine thinks it's a good review. But, you know, provoke our, our tiny legion of followers. I don't know if tiny legion is an oxymoron. By, by telling us we can all, all just sit and spin and quit podcasting. <laughs>